Welcome, Nicholas, to the show. Uh, welcome, everyone, to Just Dow It, the podcast for people starting DAOs. I'm Adam Miller, and I'm your host. Uh, I'm the CEO of MyDAO, which provides legal entity solutions for DAOs. And prior to starting MyDAO, I did consulting for people starting and operating DAOs. This is the first time we are recording an actual episode of Just Dow It live, uh, streaming live to YouTube and LinkedIn. So welcome to any of our live guests. Hopefully, there are no technical hiccups, but we will see. So first of all, I want to welcome our guest, uh, Nicholas Biagosh, to the show. Uh, Nicholas, do you want to start by giving a brief introduction to yourself? And in particular, what makes you an authority on DAOs? Okay. Hey. Hey, everyone. Um, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. And I'm very excited about this. Uh, yeah. My name is Nicholas Biagosh. I've been in Web 1, Web 2, telecommunication, and Web 3 for the last 25 plus years. I've been in the crypto and Web3 space since 2015-ish. Um, and uh, my background is law. So I uh, have law degrees in Germany and the United States. And I um, worked, I had companies. I worked in a, in a big corporate environment in telecoms and um, did a couple of things in crypto, one of which is, is our biggest project at the moment. I'm co-initiator of Q Protocol. Um, we are providing a universal governance system that goes beyond code as law for Web3. Um, I came to do that um, when, when I got into the space, we were totally fascinated by Bitcoin being the missing piece, truly digital assets after Web1 had turned into like uh, the hands of a couple of big monopolies, um, I, I uh, was very excited to see Ethereum. And um, at the same time, we kind of witnessed uh, the original Ethereum DAO hack. We witnessed the block size wars. Uh, we saw how uh, on Ethereum, uh, even the, the earliest, um, um, DeFi protocols had challenges with governance as soon as a, a governance required a more sophisticated way that could not be coded. I mean, we've seen it with many really system critical uh, functions in MakerDAO. We've seen it just recently with um, Arbitrum, um, um, with Aragon, um, just very recently with Turnado Cash. All of those are governance, uh, Mango DAO, uh, Uki DAO, all of these are governance problems. And, and that's why we said, like, we need to put together our background. And ours is Martins and my and, and Andres. We are the three co-initiators. So my background is law. I've worked in regulation and with regulation, telecoms and the web one and two world. Um, and I've been... Um, in M&A a lot. So I've bought companies, I've set up companies, I've sold companies, um, many, many, many of those. So I've thought about governance my whole life. And um, awesome. a couple of the things we, um, we, we kind of reinvent in the DAO space today are being taught in second semester in law. So it's always uh, a joy to see that. Well, I've seen that before somehow. So, yeah, that's awesome. That I find the question a little bit. 
Definitely. You know, and I find that uh, all of us who have been working in the DAO space, if we're not yet on the projects we're working on, we could really benefit from people who have been studying governance and other organizational issues at, at schools that have been researching the subject for dozens of years. And often, often we're actually missing that, that background. So it's really valuable to have you and, and other folks with that knowledge in the space. Um, for those of you who are new to the show, the way this works is first we do the Just Dow It News Report, where I will share uh, recent Dow news. I'll summarize the articles and tell you where you can find them, and then ask Nicholas for his reaction. I'll share my reaction. Do we agree or disagree with the author of the story? And what do we think is relevant about those articles for people starting Dows today? And after the news report, we will turn to the in-depth interview with Nicholas, where we'll dig more into his background, how he got into Web3, what he's working on, and, and more. Um, so make sure to stick around for the second part of the show as well. But for now, uh, let's go into the Just Dow It news report. The first story of the week uh, is uh, actually from a friend of mine, Samantha Marin, who is one of the early uh, creators and content producers and writers in the DAO space. She, she, one of her projects now is Aragon. Um, she actually just released a DAO anthology this morning. Um, you can find it on their website at quorummedia.xyz or quorum.metalabel.app slash DAO dash anthology. What's exciting about this to me is she actually is pulling together 15 articles from 21 writers um, over the last few years, like the most meaningful and impactful articles that she remembers reading over the last couple of years about DAOs. So the theory of DAOs, the practice of DAOs, the future of DAOs, kind of looking at everything we've gone through over the past several years as experiments and asking, what can we learn from these experiments? Um, one of the cool things about this, aside from the fact that you can buy it as an NFT and there's a very cool print copy that you get along with that NFT, um, and I bought mine this morning. Um, one of the cool things about this is I, I look through all the authors and you have people who were some of the earliest uh, people working on DAOs. So like Frog Monkey is a good example of someone who was very early in Bankless and he's written a lot about DAOs. And I saw him speak two years ago about what he had learned about DAOs when most of us in crypto hadn't even really heard of DAOs yet. Um, so I'm really excited for this anthology and definitely recommend people check out Quora Media and, uh, and maybe uh, consider getting a copy of the anthology, which I think you can also read uh, for free um, online. So um, I know that's maybe a, a softball, Nicholas, but any, anything there to react to? Probably not too controversial. No, I, I think not at all. I, I love the idea of having like an easy read-up to kind of dive into that space and, and start it. So, yeah. Yep. Awesome. I think it's a, it's a great piece of work. Yep. Awesome. All right. So now we're going to turn to something a lot juicier that also involves Aragon. Um, so this story, um, I'm going to read you a tweet thread from uh, Aragon's uh, Twitter account, which is at Aragon Project. And uh, okay, I'll start by reading the tweet thread, most of the tweet thread. Today, the Aragon Association, and by the way, this was uh, this was a couple weeks ago. We haven't done a show in, in a couple months, as, as our regular listeners know, and we're back, which is great. But this is from a couple weeks ago. Uh, today, the Aragon Association acted on its fiduciary duty to secure its treasury by repurposing the Aragon DAO into a grants program. This is a response to a coordinated attack by the group known as risk-free value raiders who took down Rook DAO. Last week, a coordinated 51% attack was launched on the Aragon DAO. Arca Capital Management, a U.S.-based asset management firm, is leading the effort. Evidence suggests that Arca's involvement is aimed at extracting value from Aragon for financial profit. 
In response, the Aragon Association is repurposing the Aragon DAO as part of a new grants program to fund DAO builders who are launching DAOs, DApps, and plugins on the new Aragon tech stack. This initiative ensures the Aragon treasury is allocated towards builders advancing Aragon's mission to build tools that allow anyone to experiment with governance at the speed of software. The RFV Raiders and ARCA are responsible for the takedown of RookDAO, InvictusDAO, Fay Protocol, RomeDAO, and TempleDAO. Shots fired here. One of the members has also been jailed for his involvement in the Mango DAO exploit. Members of the group have called themselves the Vultures of Crypto. As written by Diogenesis Casares, many of the investors involved have made tens of millions of dollars simply by calling for the dissolution of these failing projects. I'm going to stop there. If anyone wants to obviously check out the tweet to read the rest, but this is a really interesting story because it's another example of what we have seen a lot recently, which is an organization that is that calls themselves a DAO and, and maybe they are a DAO saying, we're going to actually ignore the way people are voting, or we're going to kick them out of the discord, or we're going to um, go a different direction from where people are voting because we think it's the right thing to do. And so one of the really interesting things here is the whole attack, and we can dig a little bit more into that. But the other interesting thing is there's been a lot of situations where people have said, wait a second, was this really a DAO if you can just say, well, this is a bad vote. We don't like this 51% because they're trying to take our money. Let's just go a different direction. So a lot of stuff we could dig into here. But Nicholas, let me turn to you first and, and get your reaction and what you think is most interesting about this. Um. Okay, so I mean, on the one hand, it shows it very clearly shows um, the, the the problems and uh, the limitations of Coda's law. So apparently, um, intend what the, the the arrogant organization wanted the treasury to be used for cannot be coded properly. So um, that uh, is a limitation. The other limitation is, well. Um, if you don't have a, a governance system, or if you have a governance system that only relies on code, so only on this one level, there's no oversight, there's not a distribution of powers, like very simple and basic concepts in every traditional, more traditional governance system, you rely on the code to be correct and to be able to deliver whatever you want it to deliver. And if it doesn't, and Aragon, I think, was it was very good of them to detect um, uh, before the fact and, and understand the risk and act accordingly. But you're absolutely right. They're kind of fleeing into centralization like others have done. And, and in the eyes of a Tao purist, so to speak, that is maybe saying like, wait a minute. You know, like, are we a DAO now and can we participate in voting and decision making or are we not? And I can fully kind of relate to what they did from a practical level, from a governance level. Um, this shows exactly the, the, the problems we're seeing everywhere. I mean, we've seen yeah. the same in, in Arbitrum in a different shape and form. Um, I think in a more questionable, but that's my very personal opinion mm -hmm. to say like there had been a decision and we're just putting this in to kind of uh, 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 say it's okay after the fact. That's that's at least like very bad style, I would say. And yep. um, 
Yeah, but but those are the the, the elements I would I, I'm looking at when I when I uh, look at this this case. Yeah, and by the way, for people who don't know, Aragon is one of the earliest projects uh, that aim to build tools for other DAOs, and they have a treasury of like two hundred million dollars, something like that. So it's a very meaningful situation here. Um, and uh, yeah, I agree. It's it's uh, so like at the most basic level. Imagine just any. Uh, any DAO that has money in its treasury and is fully democratic with a 51% majority can do anything. It's almost, and let's say everyone put in the same amount of money, right? A hundred people all put in $1 each. Now, 51% of those people the next day can coordinate with each other and say, you know what? Let's just vote to give ourselves all of the hundred dollars. And now you're giving 51% of the people twice what they put in about, which is all of the hundred dollars. They each get $2. And if the only rule was everything is democratic, they haven't broken the rules. And so at its most basic level, it, when DAOs are trying to be as fully democratic as they can be, you have this problem of what happens when some you know, minority or just a plurality or majority decides they want to do what's best for themselves and, and run away with the money. And I think you know we'll get into what you're working on more later, but I think actually you know Q protocol that that you've been building um, provides one of the solutions to to this problem. So I don't know if you want to just briefly address that now too. Yeah, sure. So in in traditional governance systems, uh, this problem is being addressed by a set of very transparent, explicit rules and a mechanism that ensures. Um, the the actual uh, execution and enforcement of those rules. So those rules could say like we are uh, uh, requiring higher uh, majority or quorum requirements in order to do just what you said. Um, they could um, put down intent or certain things that are just not intended to happen, like with the mango DAO. Um, if they have had rules, they could have said like, well, MangoDAO is intended to be like a lending and borrowing, whatever DeFi system. It's not intended to be exploited or blah, blah, blah in that way. And that can then, if there is a proper um, execution or enforcement mechanism, can be enforced, which is standard in all traditional governance systems. It is very hard to code, though. That is the big problem why that is not in um, existent. And we've seen... Um, constitutions and written rules before in EOS and, and others. And they never worked because they were lacking the second part, um, which is the which is the execution, because any rules are worth not the paper written on when there's no proper execution mechanism that is independent from the actors in the in the DAO, by the way. It needs to be an independent uh, enforcement. Yep. Yeah. Very interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm and, excited and, and to, yeah, I think we'll, no, I think we'll get to this later, but this is kind of, and, and you can hear it. This is what's been on my, our minds when, when thinking about how a universal governance system that is fully decentralized should work and which elements it, it needs to be built of. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, Okay, cool. Well, no, you know, before we actually we move on, I'm thinking about applying an analogy of like traditional companies. And for some reason, I feel like most traditional companies don't have the same problem because 
I guess most traditional companies, you don't end up putting in so much cash. Is it because you don't end up putting in so much cash on day one that there's no incentive to do a 51% attack? Or is it because all of the interests are aligned because it's really just like whoever's on the team is trying to make money for themselves. So they're all aligned. You don't have like the whole community or your users that can also jump in and vote. I mean, why don't we have this problem the same way with traditional companies? Um, I, I guess for, for, for various reasons. One of the reasons is um, very seldomly a traditional company will allow for this mechanism. So very seldomly a traditional company will allow for a mechanism where a majority, a simple majority, independent of any intent or, or um, like cause, will be able to drain um, the, the entirety of, the, um, of the, the assets under management or the, the treasury or whatever. They, you know, it's like, even if you have uh, the, like listed uh, companies, shareholders cannot just sell off um, the assets. So there's a whole set of rules who can decide upon what and when. Because there is, I think in this, in, in our space, in the decentralized space, which is very tech driven, there are uh, a couple of um, fundamental misunderstandings. Uh, one of which might be that um, the community, as it were, should and can decide on everything. Um, because over thousands of years, it has turned out that the community, like the wisdom of the crowd is amazing for a couple, a few things actually, but it's horrible for many, most other things. Mm -hmm. Like as soon mm -hmm. as you require some expert opinion, the wisdom of the crowd is, is, is disastrous. Mm -hmm. Like in, in financial um, expert questions, in health, like one of the reasons why we don't see more decentralized health and life insurance, like have the uh, community decide mm. whether a tooth needed mm. pulling or, you know, like these kind of things. It's very mm. obvious if you think about it mm. or, or marketing or sales or tech, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm not a tech guy. So if I would have an equal vote on tech, then mm. my co-initiator Andre, who's a deep tech guy, we would have a big problem. And vice versa, if he would have an equal say in governance, we would have an equal, equally big problem. So I think those are a couple of, of, of aspect, uh, aspects that, that play into this. Um, mm -hmm. That's the reasons why we have um, distributed decision-making dependent on the, on the topic at hand, why there's an oversight mechanism, where there are written transparent rules so everybody knows what's happening. Yep. Awesome. Thank you. Makes a lot of sense. All right. We could probably talk about this forever. I know at least I, I would love to, but let's turn to the next uh, news story for the time being. Um, and this one's a little more fun. Uh, this is a tweet uh, from uh, Pizza Dow, which is at pizza underscore Dow, uh, saying, happy Bitcoin pizza day. Find your local global pizza party location on our website. Unfortunately, this was yesterday as we're recording live, so maybe a week ago by the time the, the podcast is out. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about what Pizza Day is, if you've never heard of it, um, and why there's a Pizza Dow. 
So first of all, if you've never heard about Pizza Day, um, this is the date that in 2010, uh, a, a person uh, bought two pizzas for 10,000 Bitcoins. And of course, the first reaction a lot of people have is, oh, my God, if you had only kept the Bitcoins, you know, that would be worth $500 million today, which is true. But I, I guarantee you, if he had 10,000 Bitcoins and he probably had another 10,000 at least somewhere else. So hopefully he held on to them. Um, and so this has become so that was the first time someone used Bitcoin to buy at least a, a real legal um, product. And so that's why it kind of goes down in history as um, as, a, as a fun day to celebrate. Um, what Pizza Dow did is Pizza Dow originally about maybe a year and a half, two years ago, made a bunch of cool uh, pizza based NFTs, graphical NFTs, and sold them, raising a bunch of money. And so now whenever they have the chance, they use that money to sponsor pizza parties, either at conferences or in the case of Pizza Day, literally all over the world, in like 50 or 100 different cities. And the reason I bring this up, aside from it just being kind of fun and I love pizza, is this, I think, is a great use case for a DAO, right? I mean, it, yes, it's silly. It's just for fun. But here's a situation where because like people's values are pretty much aligned here. It's just let's have fun and buy pizza. You don't have the same kind of risk of like attackers coming in. I mean, attackers could come in. But I think everyone would in the community would say, no, like we're here because we love pizza. We're not just going to give you the money. We want to use the money to buy pizza. And so sometimes it's actually these like very community driven um, uh, initiatives that are an easy use case for a DAO um, because it's not going to be hard for everyone to just decide together. Sure, let's go sponsor more pizza parties. So do you agree or what's your reaction, Nicholas? No, I, I, I do agree. I mean, it is a it is a wonderful um initiative I, I truly love it and uh, and as you said it is very easy to agree to on, on sponsoring a pizza party um so <laughs> the only thing i could could see as a problem is like where like in my neighborhood or in your yeah. neighborhood and uh these kind of yep. things but and and from what i've heard the pizza dow is is running out of money very quickly because they are just they're just sponsoring all the pizza parties they can and i'm not sure if there's a plan to raise money again but if anyone loves pizza go go check out pizza dow it's certainly a fun fun project and and the interesting thing too is with a lot of these dows because you know most people today involved in dows are Web3 native or people that are pretty into Web3 and crypto because it's still kind of challenging to run a DAO. So you don't have as many like mom and pop shops, like let's go start a hardware store and do it as a DAO, right? They're just gonna do it as, as mom and pop owns the, the hardware shop for now, at least. Um, but the people starting all these DAOs are really into Web3. So they're also treating these DAOs as experiments. So the people involved in running Pizza DAO, and I've met some of them, um, or you know, some of the members of Pizza DAO are really passionate about trying to find what's the right software to run a DAO. What type of governance do we want to use to make sure things do stay aligned and we are able to act in accordance with our, our mission? Um, so these, if, if anyone listening is looking to join a DAO and see what DAOs are really about, a DAO like this actually could be a great example, even though it seems like it's just for fun because you will get to experience what it's like running and, and being part of a DAO. All right, the next story, uh, this is a, a report from Grayscale. Uh, so if you go to grayscale.com, you can find this. And the article that they published about a week ago uh, is entitled, Business Organizations, What is a DAO Legally Anyways? 
So this was a fun article because Nicholas and I both are very passionate about the, the legal side of DAOs and I think looking at DAOs very critically and technically. Um, and one of the points that this article makes, aside from going into a little bit of a background on DAOs and how many DAOs there are and how they're growing and that kind of thing, is DAOs, uh, it compares DAOs to other types of organizations that we hear about. And it makes this important point that is a little bit technical, but I think is important for anyone who hasn't thought about it, which is that DAO is not a legal term almost anywhere. Right. And when it is a legal term, it's usually only for a very specific purpose. Like in the Marshall Islands, if you call yourself a DAO LLC, that has a very specific meaning and you're opting into certain legal frameworks and rules and, and, and rights and those kinds of things. But whenever someone just says DAO out in the world, there's no legal meaning. Right. So whatever they're thinking a DAO is is they have a valid argument that that's what a DAO is. And whatever I'm thinking a DAO is, I, I can have a valid argument as to what that is. And so people disagree about what it is. Um, and so similarly, there are other words that we use, like the word organization, even the word company in a lot of contexts. Um, these words don't have a legal meaning, right? A company can actually be a corporation or an LLC. It can be a nonprofit or a for-profit. These are things that have legal meaning, but words like company or group or organization, these are just terms that, that we use as part of um, kind of our culture, our society. And so we're all still trying to figure out, you know, what is a DAO exactly? Um, and then meanwhile, uh, when we decide to elect for some kind of specific legal status for our DAOs, that's when usually we're picking a term, a term that has more legal meaning. So a foundation or an LLC or a corporation or, or something like that. So um, anything you'd want to highlight, uh, Nicholas, or, or respond to what I shared? Yeah. Um, so first of all, I think it's very, very important what you just said to uh, realize and acknowledge that a DAO is not a legal entity per se. And without wanting to go into like the depth of, of uh, legal history of like how organizations like legal entities came about, the whole idea about legal entities is to provide a framework with very clear written rules in laws and um, accordingly uh, systems like court systems and so forth to enforce those laws that give certain um, security and transparency to whoever's dealing with that company and also for the company or the people within the company, certain um, certain securities and uh, restrictions of liabilities and so forth. So um, for, for me, I think um, I look at DAOs, um, first of all, those are decentralized. They need to be autonomous and they need to be organizations. And that does not need, in the first instance, in the first place, does not need to be a legal entity because legal always means in relation to a specific jurisdiction. And a jurisdiction is always defined by land or regional boundaries. There is no global jurisdiction per se. The problem we, however, have is there is a growing ecosystem and economy that is truly digital and that is truly global. So we're missing an infrastructure that's equally suited for those kind of factual organizations. There are actual people doing actual things together, some 
in sometimes involving business or assets, sometimes not, but they're actually doing these things. So we're missing those infrastructures that we have kind of on the ground. And um, that's what it makes so difficult. And and I I would advise everyone to look really detailed and really meticulously into what is it that I'm wanting to do? Where do I start? Rather start really small than, than big. And do I need a legal representation of that decentralized autonomous organization of whatever sort I want to do? And, and there are good reasons to have a legal um, um, representation by way of a, an LLC somewhere like owning IP. Like our own project, the Q protocol owns quite a bit of uh, IP with respect to the to the Q brand, a very valuable uh, IP, and uh, that's one of the reasons we have a, a non for profit uh, foundation which started initiated the protocol, and they hold the IP because the DAO itself, the protocol itself, that that is governed by its rules and in a decentralized fashion today legally cannot hold any ip yep very we interesting wish for this to happen in, in the future but right now is simply not possible so yeah yeah interesting um so definitely recommend people check out the article to dig a little bit deeper into some examples of DAOs that have gotten in trouble and why they got in trouble and how that relates to their legal status um and uh, also implications for token holders of DAOs. so Really good article um, to check out. Uh, the next article of the week, uh, we're actually going to go a little bit back in time. We mentioned this earlier, but I want to just share the details because I think this was such an important uh, event in the recent history of DAOs. So this is an article from Cointelegraph and that, from two months ago almost. The headline is, Arbitrum's first governance proposal sparks controversy with $1 billion at stake. So uh, Nicholas mentioned earlier a little bit about this, but I, I just think it's so important. Um, what happened in this situation was um, basically the Arbitrum Foundation said, okay, we're launching a DAO and everyone gets to vote on what happens with this DAO. And here's the first proposal. This proposal is to give, I don't know, 20 or $200 million, something like that to the foundation, something like that. And people voted no with the people who had now held the Arbitrum token, which they had just launched. And then the next day, the Arbitrum Foundation comes out and says, well, actually, we're doing it anyways. You didn't really get to vote on this. We just said that you did. And I think this, first of all, is just, I, I, I don't, I mean, look, I, I hold Arbitrum tokens. I love the Arbitrum project. I, I don't think I'm like super biased here, um, but it was such a huge mistake to tell people that they had a certain amount of power when they really didn't. Like that, that's, to me, that was practically lying um, to them. Now, the, the complexity of it behind the scenes that a lot of DAOs are in this similar situation, although not all DAOs, is they actually, they did this on purpose, right? They didn't want all the token holders to be able to decide everything. So the foundation has a board of, a board of directors, right? Officers who actually have to ratify any decision and actually can go a different direction from the DAO if they want to. And so I just think when a project does that, they should be open with everyone about it and say, this is why we're doing it. Here's the people that are on the board. Here's, here's maybe what uh, they've signed 
uh, up for or what they've agreed to in terms of how they're going to act, which you could hold them accountable, at least in a court of law, if they don't. Um, so I think that's valid. I also want to share, though, that there is an alternative. And it's it's one it's it's an example is what our company, MyDAO, works on in the Marshall Islands, which is there are DAO LLCs that are an alternative to a foundation structure where you actually can give all the power to the token holders if you want to. And you can build in some other mechanisms. And again, actually, Nicholas's technology is a great example of uh, another solution to this problem. Um, and, and so again, if you want to go into that a little bit now, Nicholas, that, that, that's totally fine. We can go deeper later. Um, but uh, a DAO that really does want to be decentralized, or at least a DAO that wants to avoid having a board that's actually in charge, does have options. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, the, the worst thing you can do in, in, in spinning up a decentralized organization or which is all based on trust in the first place is, is doing exactly that. Tell people A and do B. And thereby, yeah. it, I mean, you're killing the, the idea uh, right away. So um, that is one of the reasons why we um, advise every DAO that builds on Q or is using the Q technology to really start with like what it is that you want to do and put it down in writing. Not in code uh, necessarily first, but in writing, human written, like who shall decide on what? Because as soon as you do that, you come to realize, well, maybe I, there are a couple of things I don't want the whole community to decide, or maybe not right away. And I think that's fair. You know, the, all that matters is, is it transparent and is it explicit? That is the most important. People need to understand and they need to know what they're getting into. If they don't, then it gets messy and bad and, and ugly. So I think yeah. that's why we've concentrated so much on, on the Q constitution as the basis for whatever we are doing as the Q protocol or what the Q protocol is doing. And, um, and this is also why we are providing um, this technology and, and this feature to other DAOs, because I think Every DAO that is serious about being not just a community, because then you don't need a, any form of real organization, but every DAO needs a minimum set of basic, basic rules. And that needs to entail at least like a framing, which is the intent. We are, our intention is to do this and this, kind of to frame it a little bit, a clause, um, laying out explicitly how those rules can be amended because that's the first part where everybody fails you know it's like you have great rules and then something changed and we know change is the the biggest constant of all and then you don't have rules how to change it and then you you become very centralized and you have a big shouting match or whatever you know so that's yeah. the first uh must have and the second must have is a dispute resolution, what you said, you know, like to be able to hold people accountable a dispute resolution mechanism, which by the way is interesting because uh, we've, we've seen it in the Ukidao case and we've seen it elsewhere where courts are assuming jurisdiction over a DAO. So you would, you would say maybe like, well, a DAO is, is beyond or should be beyond nation states because why should an organization that is comprised of many, many uh, people or organization that are anywhere in the world and not in specific jurisdictions, 
that all of a sudden land in the California court, you know. And the reason is uh, for, for Ukidao, at least and many others, the first thing a judge asks themselves is, do I have jurisdiction? And they look around, and I'm exaggerating maybe a little bit to make it tangible. They look around, they don't see anything. They don't see any legal entity. They don't see any uh, rules of incorporation. They don't see a private contract, nothing. So they say, well, here I have a California resident. I am it, uh, I'm, I'm uh, claiming jurisdiction. If they had um, just a basic contract for all members of the DAO saying, we, the members, agree to do this and this and that and that, and we agree on solving our disputes through private arbitration, they're effectively opting out of local jurisdictions. That, and that's very important, is has limitations. You can never opt out of local criminal law. You cannot opt out of local uh, consumer protection laws in many instances and, and a couple of others. So be aware there's no one trick pony. But, um, but effectively, and, and that's happened in international trade for decades. So like imagine an American company, a big Chinese company, they can very well... Um, uh, argue and, uh, and, and, and agree on the terms of the trade, they have the hardest time agreeing on whether to fight any fights they have in the United States or China, because the U.S. will not go into China, into Chinese courts and vice versa. So what they do is they opt out of those um, jurisdictions and opt into private arbitration. And that is yeah. the reason, that's kind of what we're trying to provide. This infrastructure for for organizations that want to be truly decentralized and truly autonomous to at least have an an alternative to the to the state frameworks and state structures that makes them or enables them to opt out of that to some extent and kind of uh, uh, have private rules that that they can then enforce amongst themselves. Yep, that's awesome. All right. Well, I'm too excited to go deeper into this to do the last news story of the week. So if people want to see it, they can check the podcast notes or, or my Twitter feed. Um, so let's actually turn right over to uh, from the Just Dow It News report, which we've just concluded onto our featured guest interview with Nicholas. And let's just dig right into, first of all, one step back, which is uh, tell us about how you got into Web3 and DAOs in the first place. And then if you want to go right into telling us about what it is that you're working on and how you help solve these these problems. Yeah. So um, as mentioned before, I got into um, crypto because I started out in the late 90s in, uh, in, in the Silicon Valley with Web1 and this big promise of uh, decentralizing and democratizing information. And uh, that turned into um, uh, resting in the hands of a couple of, of massive monopolies. And one of the reasons I believe was because the monetization mechanisms did not provide for uh, digital assets that did not provide for any decentralized ways or not even for individuals to be able to monetize their assets. And the assets in this world, as we know, is data. That's that's the essence. And essentially, it's your identity. It's like, what do you do? When do you do it? Who do you do it with? How often do you do it? All these kind of things, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, that's how 
when I learned about Bitcoin in 2013, I was I was shocked in a positive way. I was like, wow, this is the missing piece. I, I got to understand this better. It took me a little while um, to really wrap my head around it and understand it from a technical perspective because my background is not tech. Um, um, I did then in around 2015 and 16, we started uh, investing. And we as a group of, of uh, Martin, there's another guy who kind of uh, is, is really early in the in the space and really tech literate. Andre is another guy who uh, was really early and, and very tech driven. And uh, we cut, did a couple of things. Um, we initiated the first uh, regulated investment fund in Europe that only invested in digital assets, stuff like that. And then we got into this into this discussion with our seed investor, a uh, very early Bitcoin in, investor, very early uh, OG about governance and, and agreed, as I said, like code is law, code is amazing. Whatever you can code, you should code. But there is no alternative as soon as you need to go beyond code. Like all of the um, discussions, all of the, the problems and topics we've just discussed uh, early on today um, show the limitations of code. Life is not binary. Uh, and that's not just me saying that. It is, it is scientifically proven. Mm. Um, it, you can't code all future stages of the world. You cannot code the unknown. Mm. It's simply impossible. So that's how we started. And then we, we kind of pulled together um, our knowledge, our backgrounds in, in tech and governance and finance. Martin's background is, is finance and investing. And uh, um, came up with what is Q today. Q is a, a universal governance layer for Web3. Um, it is providing decentralized organizations with the means in order to have the, the to, um, to initiate and use the trinity of governance. That's what I call it. It is rule setting. That can be by code. Whatever you code is the rule or by human language in form of a contract or a, an agreement. It is execution, which is in the, in the, in the event of coding it, it's self-executing. But we, um, for, for the other elements, we provide an independent um, execution and enforcement mechanism that's truly decentralized and that can enforce not only code, but also um, human language. So we can do things like code upgrades without any master keys. We are not employing a single master key or multi-sig scheme in within the Q protocol, which is, by the way, one of the reasons we've received regulatory clearance in, in uh, Germany and Liechtenstein, because they were explicitly asking for that. Like, how mm. decentralized are you really? Do you use any master keys or multi-sigs? And, and we told them how we do it with this independent execution mechanism. And they said like, well, this is truly decentralized. And that's why they regarded us as not being uh, regulated as a security and so forth. And the third element, so you have rule setting, you have execution. The third element is dispute resolution. So whenever you code something, you, you don't ever have any disputes because it's binary. It's yes or no. There are no disputes. 
But beyond that, you will always have um, disputes because there will always be some room to for judgment, for discretion, essentially. So you need a dispute resolution mechanism. And you need to have this before doing whatever first steps, because the one thing you will not be able to agree upon when in dispute is the dispute resolution mechanism, right? Mm -hmm. So you will be able to agree on anything, but like how to, who is the independent party? What is the, the process and all of these kind of things. So we integrated with the ICC There's a third element, which is the largest private arbitration organization in the world. And whatever disputes arise among uh, stakeholders in the Q ecosystem, or if you opt in and, and integrate deeper with the Q into using these features within your own DAO, for example, those disputes can be taken to the ICC and find a resolution. So the, the, the nice thing about the ICC is it is regarded by pretty much all relevant courts and jurisdictions around the world because it's mm. so big and so important in international trade. They have due process. So whenever a judge, for example, the California judge in the Ukidao case, sees that there's an agreement for alternative dispute resolution with the ICC, they say like, well, they should reside uh, over the case. They should... Um, uh, put out a judgment because we acknowledge those judgments. I don't have to do that. Let them do it. And then we can implement those judgments later. That's the beauty of the ICC. And then whenever it's, it's about online execution, like for example, slashing of stake and these kind of things, that is then being facilitated again by our decentralized dispute resolution mechanism. So, and again, what are the, the merits uh, for a decentralized organization? DeFi protocols can have um, pretty much all of their most relevant structural parameter decisions done in a fully decentralized way. Like with a Mango DAO case, what's an eligible asset? How big is the risk parameter or the risk discount to be applied if a if an asset like da the, 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 da uh, the Mango DAO token like jump in value by 4,000x within 45, 48 hours, something like that, you know? Mm -hmm. That's one. Secondly, um, we're able to um, spin up DAOs and, and provide them not only with a basic framework and infrastructure, but also with the means to evolve this and further um, decentralize over time. Because I think that's one of the, the, the biggest challenges to go from centralized to decentralized. And it's, it's hardly ever possible to go, again, binary from one, from zero to one, you know? Most of the time you need sort of a glide path further decentralizing. And in order to do that, you need rules. You need to say like an expert panel today has, and I'm exaggerating, has one member, it's very centralized. Tomorrow, we're going to introduce another two members into that. The day after, another five members. And that way, we're decentralizing. And people can rely on that because we've put this mechanism into our constitution, which is exactly what we're trying to do with, with Q, where, for example, we had 
three root nodes, which are part of this execution mechanism, that were needed to initially spin up mainnet. So that was a very centralized approach, have three root nodes, and then those uh, root nodes and the, and the organization um, voted in new root nodes. So just recently, we deleted those root nodes uh, from, from the panel. So we have uh, only fully voted in by the community root nodes on the panel now. And the community just voted on slightly and very carefully um, opening up the root node panel to more. So today we have 21 root nodes. In the next stage, we'll have 27. And then, you know, and, and that you can do, you can kind of grow into decentralization because with, I mean, it's, it's still a, it, it's still a big experiment. There's no way somebody's ever going to wrap their head around all of the possibilities and think about all of the things, especially in a little more complex situations, uh, which all mm -hmm. of those hacks show, you know. I'm yeah. sure Arbitrum and all of these other guys, especially Tornado Cash and Aragon, I have very high respect for those guys. They're among the brightest minds in our industry. Um, so it's just impossible to think of everything. So that's why it's important yeah. to take things step after step. Cool. So tell me a little bit more about the root nodes. This is a very complex, it's a complex system. Um, and I want to make sure we dig into the component parts. So are, for example, are the root nodes the ones that are helping directly resolve disputes or is their role simply to act as like a conduit to this ICC or what, what is it that the root nodes are doing exactly? So the root node panel, um, they, the, it always acts as a panel. Uh, it is always a majority decision. They cannot act proactively. They, they are not validating, uh, they're, they're um, so they can just, what they do is essentially they have the written rules in their hands and they look at it and they assess whether a proposal is in line with the constitution. Like for example, in um, the tornado cash or the, uh, the, the mango Dow case, they would have vetoed those transaction because they would have said like, well, that's clearly against the intention of what we're trying to do here. Very clearly. Or in Aragon, Aragon could use this mechanism to say like, well, we don't have to protect ourselves against an attack because we have the second layer who can veto a transaction that's draining the, the, um, um, the, the Aragon treasury because our governance book or, or the constitution, I, I'll call it, I, I will call it the constitution of whatever. Um, it says clearly you cannot drain the the constitu uh, the the the, um, uh, the treasury. You can only use the treasury for certain purposes, mm -hmm. and that can be then enforced. And that's their job. Their job is to only enforce. It's a little bit like like the police in a. It's like the executive branch in a in a um, in a traditional um, organization or uh, jurisdiction. They, they have very clear rules. They also can be slashed. They also can be voted out of uh, the, by, by the whole community. And they also can be dragged before um, private arbitration um, if they do wrong. So they are overseen by the, by the 
whole community and and subject to to all of those measures as well so they just make sure that um the the constitution as it states or as it stays um that is um applied uh, adhered to and implemented that's what they do um okay. they're very independent of for example validators which is very important for oversight and distribution of powers so validators are anonymous um the rewards are depending on the on the stake um and, and so forth and, and root notes it's always the exact opposite so root notes are known by name and residence they can be found and everybody knows who they are um they are very diverse so they are being voted into this the, the panel on the basis of of a uh, an algorithm which ensures the diversity of the panel and thereby the independence um mm. they always have like one root node one vote so you can't you you counter plutocracy risk by this and in in all of those those elements Cool. So uh, is this available today? Can a DAO go to the Q protocol and uh, opt into this system? Or is it, well, what's, what's the timeline for it being available for people who want to use it? Yeah, it is, it, it is definitely available today. We have DAOs building on, um, on Q. We have a couple of, of very nice partnerships that we've just concluded earlier this year, like, for example, with LexDAO. Who are not only running a root node, but they're also advising on how to integrate with uh, Q and how to use the governance of, of Q to DAOs. We have also um, just launched a governance SDK, which lets you spin up your DAO technically in eight easy steps. Um, and we will continue uh, in, in improving that uh, with a uh, uh, like a simple form of a constitution and then from that um so the idea is to have like uh standards that are for like the early stages the, the simple things the easy way to to do this but to have a very high standard like i i'd always say like do less but do it right rather than too much and do it half the way or wrong and then yeah. if you want a more um, sophisticated integration, then we could always uh, talk about a, a grants or just support on how to do that, um, including not only the technical support, but also the governance support. I mean, um, we have like one really great example, which is a um, Swedish foundation that holds water wells, like actual water resources in the country and, and and elsewhere not only in sweden and they want this to um to run this and to provide more and more of those water resources over 150 years and that's why they wanted to be governed by a dao because they believe like well the the, the, the state of sweden is fairly stable but you never know and you always should stand on two feet rather than just one so let's give it to the people because uh, they probably will be best to understand like how to, to, to take this into the future. So here the challenge is how to, how to bridge the gap between a decentralized digital autonomous organization 
and physical assets on the ground. We also have somebody who tokenized real gold on queue for various uh, reasons, which is interesting. But that's these are new kind of things that you can do with a more sophisticated governance, which I find super yeah. interesting. And there we also uh, provide support. Yeah. So I want to dig into that water use case a little more because that, that, that really sparked an idea in my mind. You know, I've, I've always thought of DAOs as being something that will, for now, apply mostly to projects and company-like things, charity-like things and communities, but eventually governments will use the technology that we're building. And you could think of the government of a city or a state or a country as a DAO. In fact, they are, I mean, they operate in a similar manner. They're yeah. just not digital and uh, autonomous necessarily. They're, they're, they're all paper-based. Um, but, uh, but if, you know, for a while I felt like, well, we're years away. I mean, you know, even like the city I live in, convincing them to actually move to a decentralized voting system on the blockchain where certain things are anonymous, it just seems like so far away to getting there. But what you just brought up is governments could just take individual, uh, responsibility areas, right, or assets and slowly give those back to the community through DAOs. So the city I live in, for example, could take the park on this, the smaller, you know, uh, area where I live and say, you know what, this park, we're going to give it to the thousand people who live closest to it or the people who use it the most or whatever mechanism they want and just give one little thing at a time over to the community. And this could be a way, it sounds like this is a way that governments are already leveraging DAOs without having to give up too much of their power um, in a way that, that could be really meaningful for people, like making sure people have a direct democratic control over their water resources rather than that water being controlled by a government, which is you know, we'll, we'll sway left and right and up and down, you know, based on the political ideas of the moment. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, and the, the interesting thing for those larger organizations and communities uh, or even states is, you know, it's like they, they need to understand how these things work. And they could give it to a group of people and then they can beef it out amongst themselves. You know, they cannot break so much if they try a couple of things and a couple of things fail, but they will eventually come up with something that's probably much better than what that one guy in the government building thought of when he thought about that park and how to govern that park. You know, I'm that that's a very, very good argument and very good um, example of how like the guys living around that, the people, the families living around that, they know how to best do this. And, uh, and it will be a lot more, if, not only if more effective, but also more efficient. Yeah. You know, it's like you, and, and it, you don't need, need to spend that much money. Yeah. So it sounds like the future of governments, no, no worries. Yeah. The delay makes it tough. The, the, uh, I feel like the future of governments may be, that you're actually covered by a number of different micro governments that have different purposes that, that will be DAOs in nature, if not in name. Um, and so you might be part of the water DAO and the land DAO and the park DAO and the housing DAO and all these different things. And they don't necessarily need to all be controlled by the same 50 senators and one governor or mayor or whatever. And that, that may actually be that may actually be a, a, the, the evolution of democracy that, that, that we're all looking for. At least it sounds like, like a lot like what I, yeah. I feel like I've been looking for. 
No, no, abs absolutely. And, and uh, we've seen a couple of examples, like, for ex um, like Liechtenstein is a very small country, but they're very, very far ahead in understanding the, the, the merits and the benefits of decentralized ledger technologies. They were the first ones to come up with a proper blockchain law to provide security to the space. And, um, and they're, um, they're right now thinking about ways of doing exactly that. And, and that what, um, that the two problems they, and then all other governments, uh, of whatever sort are, are facing is first of all, they need to understand the governance. There needs to be transparent, explicit rules. Everything else, it's very hard to handle for them as it is for, for anybody who is a big investor. You, you would never invest a lot of money or a lot of risk into something that is where you have no idea who's going to call the shots when and how and, and how this is going. You, you would just would, it would be crazy. So that's, that's the one thing these explicit rules. Um, the, the other thing is they um, need to understand how can we do this gradually? How can we kind of dip our toes into the water and try it out a little bit without betting the whole house, right? You yeah. know, and we, they, they are not able to go, they need hybrid models. I call them hybrid models and they need mm -hmm. to be able to understand, well, this part of whatever I'm doing, I can, um, like, like they would for outsourcing, I, I can decentralize further. But this, I need to have a really tight grip on until I understand how to do this probably later. And uh, the, the same is, if you look at, um, and, and I don't want to stray away too far, but if you look at the um, recent very fierce regulations and very negative tone in the regulatory community in the United States with respect to, to digital assets. Mm -hmm. um, having worked with regulators for a long, long time, what they're, what they're doing is a couple of things. But one of the things they're struggling with is that everybody keeps telling them, we're very decentralized. There's nothing we can change while mm -hmm. holding a master key in their hands. Yeah. And then... And then regulators can be very, very pragmatic because they say like, well, you're not exactly taking me seriously here, right? And that's mm -hmm. why I'm grabbing you, who apparently has control over assets and whatever, and I'm making mm -hmm. you responsible. And then we'll see um, how to go from here. A at the same time, what I have come across in working with regulators in, in Europe is if if you tell them exactly what you're doing, and if you're showing them, we truly want this to be decentralized and we're doing our utmost best, but we have to stay, uh, start a little more centralized. But this is our pass. And as long as we stay on this pass, we should be fine. They're very open because they're not against that per se. And if they are, I would question that regime maybe, yeah. but that's another, that's another thing, you know? Um, and I, so I'm always saying, like, I, I'm not against regulation. I'm very, very much against bad regulation and stupid yeah. regulation. Yeah. There's a lot of it, unfortunately. But regulation yeah. per se is not, not bad, you know. It's, mm -hmm.
Especially if we're either going to be forced into the existing regulatory framework that is not necessarily a good fit, but could be applied to us anyways, or have a new regulation that's actually built for us. And to your point, hopefully not stupid regulation. Um, I want to turn to uh, a question, some of the questions that I ask all of our guests about DAOs. But first of all, so Q, it sounds like is governed by a DAO. Is that fair to say? Q is a DAO. Uh, is a DAO. So yeah. the rules of how, uh, who, the, all the Q token holders, they decide. There are a couple of special functions like the root nodes, the validators, they all decide. As a matter of fact, a majority of the Q tokens has not been distributed widely enough. So, and is being held by the Q foundation. So that's how it's not exactly um, decentralized. So it's not exactly a DAO, but, and that's all public and can be read, but the, the Q foundation has a very clear policy, policy um, that it refrains from any voting unless absolutely necessary, for example, in order to meet a certain quorum requirement. But for example, right now, uh, in the current uh, um, proposal that is that is live right now, um, the, the stance of the foundation will most probably be to um, vote neutral in order to achieve the quorum, but not twist the actual uh, vote. And I think that's yeah. a, it's a very smart way of going about this too. And again, you know, it's, it's a way of going from centralized to decentralized and trying to really kind of give as much power to the community as possible while at mm -hmm. the same time, not being crazy or doing stupid things. Yep. Okay. So as you've uh, built this community and this project to date, um, and, and this is similar to a lot of DAOs, right? A lot of people talk about uh, on the being on the path to decentralization because early on it's it's valuable to have more some type of you know increased centralization. But so a lot of people are on a similar journey. What would you say is the biggest or one of the biggest challenges that you've faced from a people perspective as you've developed this this uh, community and this DAO and this project? From a people perspective, like like finding the, the right people, you mean? Well, I guess yeah. I'm thinking about, so as or, opposed to like writing the code, you know, for the DAO, but but building this community where you have a number of root nodes, a number of oh. validators, a number of token holders and community members, whether you call it exactly a DAO or not, it sounds like an IQ is a DAO. Um, so yeah, I'm curious, yeah. like yeah, what, what, yeah, what's yeah. the biggest challenge in building that type of organization? Yeah, so so um, at least two things. So one is to really understand and define the topics and the the voting schemes for certain topics. Who shall be able to decide upon what and which matter? Because there you make all the difference. As I said before, the wisdom of the crowd is amazing for a few things. It's horrible for many, many, many others. So um, that is a very challenging uh, topic. Um, the other is to, to trying to, um, for those various stakeholder groups, trying the right speed and, and an amount of decentralization. So understanding how 
can we truly decentralize or in make independent the root node panel? What are the elements? How do we how do we onboard those? How um, do we position um, um, themselves? And and like how do we as a as a community react? It, that is that that is that is the challenge. I think we've done pretty well with respect to um, validators. We are very, very solid on the validator side. We're very solid, very solid on the root node side by now and um, growing. So the next big challenge will be how to uh, grow the community in a, in a way that's truly decentralized, that is, uh, that is avoiding risk of big whales uh, taking over. Um, one of the the elements that is still on the product roadmap is an is an ID system in order to provide for one person one vote mm. uh, schemes um, in because that is needed to um, uh, counter plutocracy risks that might occur in and these kind of things. So it's a um, yeah. Hope that answers the question. Cool. That's great. And I'm so excited for these uh, systems that allow for one person, one vote. Because if, if any of the audience hasn't thought about this before, if you simply say, you know, well, one blockchain wallet, one vote, right? And as long as you hold the token or some of the token, the problem is that anyone can just go spin up another wallet. And so there are some uh, projects, including Q, it sounds like working on identity systems so that you can enforce that actually one person gets one vote or however many votes you want them to have. So that's that's really yeah. exciting. Yeah. Um, as as we approach the end of the show, and for the root uh, notes, Nicholas, we already have it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. I was just gonna, Good. Yeah. For the root notes, we already have yeah. one one person, one vote. That's already implemented. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Awesome. Awesome. No worries. Um, so. Uh, curious, Nicholas, just as a, as a person involved in the space, do you have a favorite DAO other than Q or a favorite use case for DAOs that you get really excited about? So we've always been big fans of Maker DAO, and uh, because they were so early on, I think they've always made a um, big effort in, in, in understanding governance and, and coming up with, with good governance and changing it constantly. And I, I don't necessarily agree with everything Maker does. That's not what I'm saying, but it's, I really, um, that's something that really comes to mind. And there are many, many others. Um, LexDAO is, is amazing. I mean, they, they truly do an amazing job. And, but I probably, being unfair to others that I'm not mentioning, but those other ones. So like one is a really good partner of ours and the other one is a like one, I think after Bitcoin, my first or second investment in, not nah, that's not really Ethereum, but like one of the top five early investments I had was MakerDAO. Um, cool. So I'm still a fan. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So those are great ones for people to check out. If anyone listening uh, is new to the world of DAOs and looking for DAOs to join, especially if you're a lawyer or in the legal field, uh, LexDAO was one of the first, if not the first um, law focused DAOs. And they do a lot of really cool and, and interesting stuff. And Maker being one of the really early DAOs that's been incredibly successful and continues to be um, as well. So definitely recommend checking those out. Um, and the last question before we get to the conclusion, um, do you have a favorite tool or tools other than Q that you recommend people who are starting DAOs check out and consider using as part of their, their tool set for launching and running a DAO? 
Um, I, I mean, we, I like to see what, what Aragon uh, did earlier this, this year, but there are many, many others. And uh, so I, to be honest, I don't have a favorite, favorite one. They all, um, they all differ in a, in a good, good way. And there's not one, one that kind of uh, serves all purposes. Okay. How about just for collaboration? What do you use at Q, if you don't mind sharing, for discussion um, and uh, for, for different types of discussion? Are you on Discord? Do you only do a web forum? How, how do you approach that side of things? No, it, it's Discord uh, for the, for the uh, community. And then for various parts of the community, some use Slack, like especially the more technical uh, parts of the community, Slack, um, Telegram, um, even like Microsoft, uh, Jira. So we, we've uh, Notion, um, all kinds of, I, I very much like Notion, uh, to be honest, and I've come to mm. love it over the last couple of mm. months, nine months, maybe. Um, but that's, that's part of the like uh, operational challenges. If you are trying to be really open then you end up with a, like a really diverse um, landscape of tools, which are not always compatible. And uh, um, but you know, there's no free lunch. Everything comes at a cost. Yep. Awesome. <laughs> All right. This has been a really great discussion, uh, Nicholas. Where can people find you and Q uh, on the web and on social? So uh, the easiest way to find us is under q.org, q.org, or on Twitter, Q Blockchain, um, and from there you find everything, or on Discord. But you'll also find the Discord on q.org. There's a lot, a lot of documentation, technical and not non-technical. So q.org. Awesome, thank you. Like and q.org. Uh, yeah. Awesome. And we'll put the links in the show notes as well. Um, uh, you can find me at on Twitter at 0xThriller. I'm on Farcaster at the TheThriller. Uh, MyDAO is at MyDAODS. That's M-I-D-A-O-D-S on Twitter or MyDAO.org. And again, Nicholas, this has been so much fun. I just want to thank you again for, for joining Just Dow. It's, it's been really awesome. No, thank you. I had... Uh... I really had a lot of fun and the great questions and a great discussion. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much, Adam. Awesome. Yep. You're welcome. And, and for the audience, are you thinking about starting a DAO? Just DAO it. Finally, a quick disclaimer. None of this is or ever is or has been legal advice or tax advice. We're not lawyers. We're certainly not your lawyer. It's really important to get a good lawyer for whatever project you're working on and, and other types of advice. Um, so not legal advice, never legal advice. And again, thanks so much, everyone. Uh, have a great rest of your week and we'll be back soon. Thank you. And thank you guys. Bye-bye.